0: We've been studying together the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes and the findings of Solomon, the preacher, Quohelet, in the Hebrew, as he looks at what we're terming the game of life. You'll find today's scripture passage in Ecclesiastes 4. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 649. Thus far, it seems that there is a common thread that QuoHelet the preacher is proposing and asking, and the question is simply this: Can there be any real and lasting purposes to our lives if dust is our destiny? That is to say, is life meaningful? Or is life meaningless? And thus far, what we've discovered is that Solomon has has begun to conclude and argue a case that life, as he terms it, under the sun—that phrase that we keep seeing pop up over and again—that life under the sun, that is to say, a life that is lived uh, apart from God, divorced from God where God has no component or factor in it, a life lived apart from God on the horizontal plane is like chasing after the wind, is how Solomon puts it. He's saying it is, it is not meaningful, but instead, a life under the sun lived apart from God is meaningless and futile. It is absolutely empty. Now today we come, in chapter 4, to what seems to me to be... Um, Just a a dark cloud hanging over chapter 4. It's a very somber chapter. It it has been a very difficult chapter for me to work out and make some kind of logical sequence so that we could kind of understand it in our ordered minds. But what the Spirit has revealed to me is that Solomon, the preacher, Quahelet, sees here in chapter 4, four separate pictures or portraits of people. He sees folk who are oppressed to whom injustice is being done. They are oppressed and sadly in their oppression they find no one to comfort them. In the second portrait he sees people who are making money hand over fist. Hordes of money. And yet despite their Acquisition and their accumulation, they still remain unhappy, unfulfilled, and discontented. The third picture he paints is of people with power and influence who have no real support. And finally, people trying to live their lives but having no friends. Because our service today includes an observance of the Lord's Supper... I'm not going to spend a lot of time in introduction. I'm going to jump right into the text. Let it speak to our hearts. We'll respond to it and and come to the table together. So let's look at the first of these four pictures. We see it in verse 1. Solomon says, again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place. There's that phrase again, under the sun. I saw all the tears of the oppressed. And sadly, I have to admit, they have no comforter. Power, says Solomon, power was on the side, not of the weak, not of those to whom injustice was being done, but instead, power was on the side of their oppressors. And in the midst of their oppression, these weak, unprotected souls have no one to comfort them. It's a gloomy picture. Solomon gives a picture of victims of oppression. And he is moved to tears by this this horrid display of power by people who are in authority, who instead of protecting the weak, instead they prey on the weak and only add to the oppression. It occurs to me that uh, for most of us in this room today, we know very little about oppression. We live in... The land of the free and the home of the brave. We have rights and liberties. We enjoy. Uh, none of us, uh, or at least I don't think, none of us is starving. We, God has blessed us inordinately. Amen? We've been blessed. But still today, there are those who are oppressed and have no comforter. And there are people who, in, who are in power who could do something about it, but instead they use their authority for evil ends. And the oppressed are even more oppressed. Take, for instance, Jennifer. She's 11. She's a beautiful young girl. But as you look at Jennifer, her beauty is tinged with an air of sadness. The sadness comes from years of sexual abuse. Her childhood and her innocence were taken away from her by a family relative. She tried to talk to her mother about it. But her mother doesn't know what to do about it. She's ashamed. And she has told Jennifer, don't ever speak of this again. And Jennifer is oppressed. And she has no hope. And sadly, she has no comforter. Or take, for instance, Michael, who is employed by a chemical company. He knows when he goes to work that every day he's going to be breathing in noxious fumes that ultimately will kill him. But he dares not speak about it. He dares not to complain or he knows he'll lose his job and he can't afford to lose his job because he's married and he has four children and he's barely eking out an existence. So he keeps his mouth shut. He's he's oppressed by people who have authority who could make a difference in this, but instead he's oppressed and he has no hope and he has no comforter. Or take Joanna. Well, Joanna doesn't really have a name yet. You see, her parents don't admit that Joanna really exists. She's 12 weeks old. She's very small. She weighs about 18 grams. And she's only 17 and a half centimeters long. She has a brain and a nose, eyes, ears. She even has toenails. She has a heartbeat. But in a few minutes, Joanna will be aborted. And she will be no more. She is oppressed. She has no hope. And those who are in authority could do something about this. But they choose to turn their backs on Joanna and do nothing. And she is left without a comforter. Let's face it. The world that you and I live in in this 21st century is a world that's filled with pain and sadness and sin and sorrow. If you don't believe it, then follow me or one of our pastors around for a week and and listen to the stories that we hear. You'll be convinced. If you're not yet convinced that this is a world of pain and sadness and sorrow, then turn on the news media, not the glossy two-minute sound bites that that we get bombarded by all day long, but but turn your ears open to the real news out there on the streets. And you'll discover that there are weak people who are being oppressed. And those who are in authority that couldn't do something about it, Just turn a blind eye toward them. And this injustice continues to pile up like sediment in the bottom of a river. And someday God will judge us for not saying something about it. This dark picture that Solomon gives here, is a world that's without God, a world without Jesus, a world without hope, a world like our world where there's oppression and injustice and unfairness. It's a dark, macabre picture that he gets. But walk down the corridor in chapter 4 and you'll see yet a second picture. It's a picture of a man who's trying to make money. Lots of money. Not just enough to... To keep his family, but earn lots of money, more than that is good for him. Solomon says, and I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor, that that keeping up with the Joneses syndrome. Solomon says, this this too is meaningless. It is a mere chasing after the wind. And what do you have here in in verses 4 and Following is a, is a picture uh, uh, that really has two sides to it. Uh, the one side is, is a man whose arms are folded. He's checked out of life. He's given up. He's, he's no longer, because of the injustice and the unfairness, he's entirely opted out of life. He's just standing there of no earthly good. But Solomon sees another side another man and he has in solomon's words here in chapter 4 he has two hands that are full and yet though his hands are full his life is still characterized by toil and vanity and i love verse 6 where solomon says better one handful with tranquility than two hands full with toil and chasing after the wind. It occurs to me that in our world today, we have lots of people who have both hands full of all the acquisition and the toys and and the pleasures of this world, but their life is full of toil and meaninglessness. Their world is one that's filled with envy and greed and discontentment. It's a picture of the upwardly mobile person who works long hours sacrificing everything to climb the corporate ladder and make it to the top so that they can be what they ought to be or what their parents had told them they ought to be. Their world is a world of ambition, and that ambition becomes a necessity, and that necessity becomes a God, little g., And all of that is fueled by a desire to acquire more things. Isn't it strange, friends? And I involved myself in this company. Isn't it strange what we now consider in the 21st century to be our needs? I need that. Do you really? Let's admit it, life is a a rat race. And what we're finding out in recent months is that the rats are getting bigger and fatter. It's a rat race. And as the bumper sticker puts it, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. (laughs) So let me ask you, if, if you find yourself in this place, What are you prepared to do to get where you want to be? Just how many lives are you willing to trample upon to get to the top? Are you going to allow envy and greed to be the controlling factor in your life? Let me get up close and personal for a moment, because I think there's in this little section there's something that needs to be said to many of us in this room this morning. Have you ever noticed how many warnings there are in Scripture regarding the acquisition of material things and how hard it is for a rich man to get into heaven? Jesus does not say that it is impossible for a rich man to get into heaven, but He does say it is hard. Why? Because the acquisition of things, the love of things, the greed, the ambition, the striving. The grasping, the two-hands-full mentality is full of toil. And this mentality can so easily get in the way of what really is important in life. And right at the top of the list is our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it this way, that godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we'll see that in the next chapter of Ecclesiastes in verse 10, where it says, Whoever loves money never has enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. And that is true, and we'll plumb the depths of that. So the second picture that that Solomon gives us here in chapter 4 is this person who's just mad about acquiring things, working hard and sacrificing what is important. But what we find in the third picture is that you can have the wealth of the world, but have no true friend. Move down the corridor a little bit and look at this third picture. Because in verses 7 and 8, we see another picture of vanity under the sun. Solomon says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless. A miserable business. This third picture of someone who's working all the time, but because he's always working, he has no friends, he has no companions, he has no one to share life's journey with. He doesn't have anybody to work for anymore. Why am I toiling? There's nobody to work for anymore. He made it to the top. He got the corner office with a fat six-figure salary. But now he doesn't have a wife because she's left him. And he hasn't got any children because they've left him too. Dad's just too wrapped up into his career. He doesn't care about us. He's not a dad to us. Oh, it's a dark picture. It's the kind of picture that, that Harry Chapin, uh, I, I think, painted in the lyrics of his song when he said, My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he would said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. Yeah, I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, Thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. i got a lot to do, son. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. He said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can't you sit for a while? He shook his head. He said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Son. I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired, and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you, son, if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids got the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon, when you coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. Harry Chapin's words are exactly what Solomon is talking about. That you can throw all of your labors and all of your energies into this world, this meaningless, empty world. You can throw it into your work and your vocation. In the acquisition of titles and degrees, and you can lose everything. You can lose your home, you can lose your family, and you can lose your children. John Paul Getty, before his death, one of the richest men that's lived, said, I've never known love or what it means to have a friend. Isn't that sad? Terribly, terribly sad. A man who had the world by the tail, had everything the world could ever throw at him, and yet he admitted that he had nothing. He'd never experienced love. Looking at this picture, Solomon says, Wow, what I conclude is two are better than one. Because when you find yourself in difficulty... Obviously, two are better than one. There's comfort, there's assurance, there's strength, there's warmth. How does he put it? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. You get the picture. And it occurs to me that there's a lot of lonely people in our world today. A lot of people who are are in the midst of thousands and thousands of people. I was struck by that when Kathy and I visited... New York City this last December, and traveled on the streets filled with people, and traveled in the subways jammed with human beings. But there was such a darkness and a loneliness about it all. I venture to say that some of the loneliest people in Erie may be in church here this morning. May be sitting around you. Oh, we've we've got a good face on it. We. We look like we're successful and we've got our life together, but inside we're crumbling and our life is being stripped away, and each week it only seems to get worse, and we're lonely. We feel all alone. That's life under the sun. It's not fair. Is a fourth and final picture that Solomon gives. As we walk down the corridor, we see a picture of a person who's reached the top. He talks about it in verses 13 to 16. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. There are some who suggest that the book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, was written toward the end of his life and career as king over Israel. Verse 14, the youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What you have here is a picture of a man who's been at the top, but he's lost his job. And his place has been filled by a a fresh-faced, wet-behind-the-years young fellow, a kid just out of college. And the years of experience and wisdom don't mean anything to the company. Some of you know what that feels like, to be pushed out and replaced by a younger, snotty-nosed kid. And here you are in your late fifties or early sixties trying to find employment. What chance is there? And it feels unfair. And it appears apparently that the young lad mentioned here in this story in chapter four has just come out of prison. And the world is throwing their adulations at the young buck and has forgotten the old man. This is a desperately somber chapter. It makes me want to puke. And as I pondered chapter 4 and I thought how can I bring a word of encouragement out of this this mess this this sorrow-filled, sin written world that Solomon is describing here of life under the sun, all of a sudden, there was a, a flash of light to my soul that said, yes! Yes, yes, yes! What Ecclesiastes 4 is saying that life here under the sun is a desperate, desperate thing. But thanks be to God in Jesus Christ, there is another kind of life. Not life under the sun. Not life apart from God. But instead, a life that is lived in God, in communion with and fellowship with Jesus Christ. And that's important to get it right, my friends. And that's Solomon's message. Because... You may not make it to the top. You may not get the corner office. You may not have all the baubles and bangles that the world affords. But I would say to you that out of my own experience, that if you have Jesus Christ in your life, you have everything. Amen? So I ask you in all sincerity this morning, Do you have Jesus in your life? Is He your forgiver and your leader? Can you say with confidence this morning that even though I may not have all the world's pleasures, because I have Jesus, I have exactly what I need. His forgiveness and His grace. Has there been a time in your life when You've said, Jesus Christ, I've made such a mess out of my life. And today, Lord, I'm humbling myself and and I'm asking You to come into my life and be the leader of my life. I want You, Lord, to take first place. I, I invite You to take charge of my life. I believe You died for me and that You have been raised from the dead. I lay my life out before You, Lord Jesus. All the oppression, all the competition, all the disillusionment, Take me, Lord. Save me. I come just as I am. If you've never prayed such a prayer, I would urge you in the name of Jesus to do it now. Do not postpone. Do not wait. Do not delay. Take the gift of eternal life which God in Jesus Christ is offering to you today. Come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy burdened, for My yoke is easy and My burden is light. Turn to Him in faith and do not wait. And my friend, when you do, you'll be able to say, O Christ, in Thee my soul has found and found in Thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. I sighed for rest and happiness. I yearned for them, not Thee. But while I passed my Savior by, his love laid hold of me. Before I press on there for a moment, just think about that for a moment. That though I've turned my back on God, though I've rejected Him, though I've, I've spoken out against Him, though I've not lived for Him and I've not fulfilled His sovereign purposes for my life, He never turns me away, but instead, He's always waiting. And not only waiting, He's pursuing. He's pursuing you. He's chasing you down. And He'll not let you rest until your soul is found in Him. His love laid hold of me. Has God's love laid hold of you today, friend? Now none but Christ now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus, I found it in Thee. Here's the question Is life meaningless or is it meaningful? Here's the answer. Without God, it is absolutely meaningless. With God, it is absolutely meaningful. Praise be to God, who in His grace and mercy loves us And gives us a chance to live the abundant life. And, friends, I have nothing else to share with you this morning, nothing else to offer you, only Jesus. And, by the way, He's enough. Let's pray. We come today, Lord, with empty hands waiting for You to fill with mercy and grace. Some of us come today, Lord, for the first time seeking that mercy and grace. We don't have it all figured out. We don't have all our questions answered But today, because Your Spirit has been pricking our heart, Lord, we come with those conflicts and those doubts and those questions, fightings within and fears without. And we come to You, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Some of us, Lord, have already crossed the line of faith, and we've been serving You now for these many years. But once again, we find ourselves, Lord, having to come back to the well again and, and drink from the well of Your mercy and grace. We come not, Lord, with our own righteousness, because we know it's but like filthy rags. But today, we cling ourselves to Jesus. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to Thy cross we cling. O Lamb of God, we come. We come. Meet our need today, Lord, and fill us up with meaning and purpose and the abundance of Jesus. We pray in His name. Let's sing together.